When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Crystal Reality Volumes 1 and 2, the first two EPs from the Philadelphia band Empath, were truly chaotic. 13 minutes of pop music played at a furious pace, recorded into microphones ripped from the video game Rock Band. Drummer Garrett Koloski beat the hell out of his kit, Jem Shanahan had only just started playing any musical instruments at all. Randall Kuhn's bass synths occasionally rattled the whole mix. And lead singer and guitarist Catherine Ellickson was barely discernible, as the songs lurched from major chord to major chord. Their debut album, Active Listening, Night on Earth, released in 2019, struck an even more impressive balance between noise, punk, new age and pop. It didn't hurt that they used real microphones either, but there was still a discernible chaos to their sound. On Visitor, their new album, empaths still sound like themselves. There are sherbet hooks and weird samples, sounds that are hard to place, gurning choruses followed by transportive ambient interludes. But thanks in part to producer Jake Portrait of the Unknown Mortal Orchestra, the noise has mostly been stripped back, the pace has slowed, and strangest of all, you can actually hear Alexson's voice now. Rather than recording the project in an hours-long splurge, as they had in the past, Visitor has been poured over and reworked. The result proves what anyone who picked up Crystal Reality has known for years. The empath have always had killer songs beneath the buzz. Earlier this week, I caught up with Alexson and Kuhn to talk about slowing things down, chopping horror samples into pop songs, and touring as an indie band in 2022. I'm sure you guys have been busy in the last five days since Visitor came out. Yeah. You're about to go out on tour as well. So like, I assume you're just in and out of practice and just things are a bit frantic. Yeah, we haven't practiced because Garrett's in LA. So we're going to have a probably a busy week next week before we leave. It's only a three-day tour next week. Last time I spoke to you guys, we were at a bar in Brooklyn for, for that Gen F feature just after the album came out two and a half years ago, I guess. Wow. That's fucked up. The process that you've been through for Visitor is so different. You've really taken a lot more time with this record and it's created a very different album. How long did it take to write and record Visitor? I guess the writing is hard to pin down because I had songs just like in my voice memos for a long time before we really did anything with them. But feel like we probably started I could even check my voice memos of when we had the first like practice together of a song but I was probably either like right before we did a long tour in November December 2019 or Jan or we started January 2020 but we must have already had songs by January 2020 but it's hard to remember at least January 2020 until we finished mastering probably May of 2021 so that's a really comparatively for active listening you talk we were talking about like a couple of weeks right yeah 
In terms of the writing on that, I like have no memory of like how long that was. I don't remember. I mean, I feel like, you know, it always gets down to like the wire a little bit when we're like have the date to record. We're like, oh, shit, we got to like finish these songs. But the recording itself of that record was only five days start to finish. That longer process, how much of it involved you guys sort of editing things? I mean, oh, the sound here is different. I mean, for a start, Catherine, your, your vocals are a lot clearer in the mix and a lot of things are clearer in the mix i mean and, and things have been slowed down you've taken time to and, and given the album a bit of space to breathe do you think that that is a sort of symptom or result of this slowed down process that was in some way sort of spurred on by the pandemic i feel like we kind of wanted to do that regardless you know have everything be a little bit easier to hear because i feel like we're always like oh we're playing all these intricate parts but you can't really tell what's going on <laughs> in a lot of it or something and i don't know maybe for me it was kind of like i was really like focus on the songwriting and it was like sometimes I feel like all the noise and everything can like take away from it that's just how I was feeling at the time I guess and like just letting the songs be like what they are and not trying to cover them up or hide them or something but I at the same time we all like that kind of like warm analog sound and like you know the heavy fucked up parts I think are part of the fun of it so we didn't want to like take that out but kind of just make everything a little more discernible. I don't know. After the last record, we got a lot of calls, like not calls, but like people, <laughs> our close friends are like, the bass is too loud. <laughs> can't hear Kathy sing at all, you know? So we tried to, you know, do this one a little different, but not really stray away from the, the idea or, or goal, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like limiting if you just are like, let's just cover everything in a, la in a layer of noise. Like you can only really do so much with that. And you know, you can't really make the re same record twice. I feel like for me as a songwriter, I've like evolved and I'm really, I'm way more proud of the songs on this record. And so it's kind of like just letting them be what they are. How much of a challenge is it to remove those layers and still, how confident were you when you started this process of retaining your sort of inherent empathness because you know you're stripping away a lot of that noise and obviously that's not just what this band is but it's a huge part of what you were known for initially and what a lot of the press coverage was that you were recording into these like the mics that you'd ripped from rock band games i remember you describing it as lo-fi but not necessarily analog was there a challenge involved in in saying okay we're still going to maintain what what is inherently us but we're going to be we're going to strip all of this stuff away i don't remember worrying about it at all it didn't really ever occur to me that that would be not ideal or something. Because I just feel like the instrumentation to me is like what and like how we all play is like what is exciting to me about the band. So it's like that's all going to be the same. Is it a little scarier to be sort of more open in the mix to have that stuff? Yeah, to, to be cleaner, to be more audible. Is is that do they feel like there's a bit more pressure on that? I don't know. I was just really excited about the song. So I was like, it felt like the right thing to do. Like I felt like maybe before I was like hiding a little bit, like feeling maybe more insecure, like uncertain of my singing ability or something. So I think this time around I was had more confidence and like was just really into the, the songs. And so I was like, I feel like I want it to be heard in the way of like, oh, this is a song I want to sing along to or something. When we play the songs live, it's like they're all like really loud and chaotic. So it doesn't really feel... I mean, yeah, the, the recording's like a little bit different, but it just feels like playing the songs live, it's kind of like all the same like energy. So there's really no difference in that regard, I guess. When did you know that you wanted to work with Jake and what made you know that he, he was the right person to go with for this album? 
We had a meeting with him in January 2020 and just like hanging out with him, it just like felt like he understood our influences and like what the sound we wanted was. And also the other on the other hand was like just out of our like realm of, you know, stuff we had been doing and like realm of technical expertise or something like it just seemed like he could take us somewhere that we couldn't take ourselves or something and like you know just felt he understood who we were but also like what where it could go and it wasn't just like working with someone who was already like part of our group or something because we've always been really insular in how we've worked like working with our friend sean who's like you know been our friend for years and years and so he's like in that like inner circle so it's kind of like we want that outside perspective on it and it felt like he was able to give us that. And he was great to work with. Musicians always tell me like, yeah, we met up with our producer at the beginning and we had a couple of options. We went with this person. You would talk about influences and stuff. Like what's the conversation you have with that person on, on both sides? And how, how do you come to the conclusion in the end that like, yeah, no, that we want to go there. Because there are lots of people who could have maybe sort of challenged you or, or, or pushed you out of your comfort zone. Like what does that conversation actually entail? We went to his studio. He was kind of just explaining everything that like, I don't know, I'm trying to remember. He was like taking us around the studio, showing us everything. We were just chatting. We started talking about like music we were into. And I feel like we had a like, long conversation about just like music we liked. Yeah, we vibed on a lot of the same stuff. And then I think we went to a tiny cafe. He didn't buy. <laughs> and it was kind of a quick vetting process between all the people that we wanted to work with. We had a, It was a short list of uh, availability, people that we could work with. And then kind of pick the best of those. And then, of course, Sean, who produced the last records, was there with us the whole time, too, through the whole recording process. So it felt safe. Yeah, I think it's just like a personality thing. Like, we felt good about it. Like, we were like, this is someone we could hang out, we want to hang out with, and, like, are inspired by his, like, approach to stuff. And I remember saying something about, like, he's like, well, vocals-wise, like, what are you... I don't know if that was a question, but I remember talking about vocal stuff and just, like, saying, like, oh, I like this effect that they haven't that's on this record and he's like oh yeah i know exactly how to do that and i was like whoa that's cool he just like had the ability to be like yeah i can i can do that which has been a struggle of just like well how do we like make something out of nothing and then it's kind of like oh finally someone can just help us <laughs> did you know back then that you would be wanting to take that much more time with the album i feel like probably yeah like i feel like doing a record in five days is not ideal and i had a lot of <laughs> I don't want to say regrets, but like things I, you know, if we had kept playing the songs, I probably would have done differently in the first record. I don't know. Yeah. Just wanting to develop the sounds more and not be like glued to like the very first thought you have about something, which was fun. It was really fun to like, you know, hear a song one day and then like two weeks later have an idea and be able to like incorporate it. I feel like that's the most fun thing about it. Catherine, when you talk about lyrics for a start, there's like, there seems to be an overall vibe to an album. And it's the same, I think, with the sort of atmospherics on an empath album. There were touchstones here that tended towards like the gothic. Is that fair to say? Like, like certain films in particular? Yeah. Well, Sean and Garrett were like hanging out one day and they were just like taking a bunch of samples from like, I think it must have been around Halloween because they were taking samples from a bunch of, bunch of horror films. And we had done that on Liberating Guilt and Fear. There was like The Exorcist was on that. And then they ended up getting some sounds from Wicker Man and Osferatu. And we had those in the back pocket until the end. And we we're like, what samples do we have? And we went through them all. But in terms of lyrics, I just like things that if you you listen to it and then there's like a raw emotional feeling that comes out of it, that's always the songs that I'm like attracted to. So that's kind of what I, where my mind goes when I'm writing lyrics. The process of songwriting is cathartic in the sense it's like I have this feeling, but I don't really know how to put it into like articulate 
words or something. So I'm like, a picture will come into my mind that feels like a description of what I'm feeling or something. And then in, the lyrics become like, I'm trying to describe what I'm seeing in my mind, which becomes kind of like a story or a narrative in a way. And sometimes those images are memories. It's subconscious. I guess. And then I'm later, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like this is an overarching theme of something I was feeling at the time. And now I'm able to like process that in a more conscious way <laughs> or something. And Elvis' comeback special seems to be a song in, in particular where you're sort of pulling maybe something personal and then this image of Elvis Presley, late era fat Elvis. Could you talk me through your late Elvis theory about like what what's so poignant about late Elvis to you? I mean, he was the most famous guy in the world at one point, and then sort of his performance sort of devolved into doing karate on stage. It, yeah, it, it's really wild. Also, just like uh, being a person surrounded by, oh, Elvis, man, you're brilliant. Everything you do, your movies are great. His movies are shit, mm-hmm. you know? It, it plays with like the, the, the ego of someone who's like a, a creator or something. And then, you know, because he's, he's actually very talented, Elvis. He's a great singer. He can't really play guitar. But also, and just like watching his career sort of uh, uh, digress into drugs and just his mob involvement and everything. Like, it's such a wild story. I don't know. Do people get caught up with shit like that now? I I guess so, you know? (laughs) Yeah, something about seeing, like, this broken man on the cusp of death just, like, belting it out because that's all he knows how to do. It's the raw emotionality of that, you know, as I've said before, it's like, that's, like, what I I get into. I'll go back to, you were talking about when you had your first conversations about this album with Jake and and as a group, you know, you were talking about certain touchstones and certain things that you're into. For me, it's always been sort of an equal balance, regardless of how it's recorded and how lo-fi it sounds. There's always been this sort of balance of pop and noise. And the pop influences here are a particular, because there are like, there are real hooks on this record, more so than, than ever before, I think. And, and real like proud, like wild hooks. We talked last time about Britney Spears being somebody that, you guys are drawing from yeah yeah using the word baby yeah i like those uh turning those like pop tropes on their head a little bit i don't know i'm a person who's attracted to hooks when i hear a song i'm like damn that's catchy i need to listen to that like ten thousand times but i also like when hooks are like unexpected or like they go on for like too long or something not too long but it's like well that keeps going and going you think something's gonna be like oh that's that's the hook it's like this one little part but then it's like it kind of doesn't repeat or something i don't know just like i just like when when songs are catchy, but they don't, but in like in an unexpected ways or something. Yeah, sometimes when writing, I'm like, I get scared, but I'm like, oh, this is like catchy, but also has like a normal pop song structure. Like I have to do something to make it weirder because that's that's boring. But <laughs> so I, I don't know, try to switch things around. Yeah, I mean, Genius of Evil, I think is a pretty good example of that, right?
It sounds like a pop song, but then when you actually pull it apart, it, it doesn't really follow any sort of sta a standard st a basic structure that you would expect. Yeah, I like when that happens. You're like, oh, I had one part of the song that I really liked that I felt like it was a cool hook where it's like, Lion, or whatever it is. I was like, I like that. That was like, that's my Lucinda Williams thing or something. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I was thinking when I wrote it. Or I was like, there's something kind of country about that. But then just kind of stopping there. And I'm like, I'm not going to like base the whole song around this one notion. I like that it's kind of like a meandering vocal part that's like memorable at the same time. And the song kind of goes in an unexpected direction. There's a degree of complexity there that seems like it can only come from four people who really understand each other that well because you can't really pull things apart and stitch them back together and have like tempo changes and things like that do you think you could even have done that like three years ago well i think it's funny like sometimes i'll bring songs to garrett and i'll be like this is not going to make any sense but somehow magically he like gets it or i'm like we're going to do this three times then we're going to switch this here and then do this and then he'll like remember and i don't know like i feel like that's just a credit to to his drumming like he understands the feeling of like what I'm going for and then like changing it up and like putting an instantly like memorable and interesting drum part on top of it or something. And I just feel like that's like kind of this is the chemistry we have. I think he just like is able to translate what I'm telling him, which to me, I'm like, no one's going to understand this. I don't know how to explain <laughs> what the, the idea of this is. You guys share an abstract language when you're piecing these things together. All the parts have different names. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of made up words. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Because like a song like Paradise, for example, I'm like, how the fuck am I going to explain all the different parts of this song? And they like repeat at different weird amounts of time, but somehow it doesn't end up being that hard to explain. Is that like between all four of you? Like, the grand or how hard is that to work your way inside of this like this language? Is it something that all four of you are on the same wavelength with? In the situations that we're writing together, you know, a big chunk of this record, I was there kind of putting the bass lines together as they were figuring it out. But a lot of times I'll just kind of sit back and watch or listen and try and piece it together or, you know, add my two cents in. It's 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 not bad. You know, if, if you were in the room, you'd be like, oh, I know what the dringly drangle is. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be in Everybody there. Everybody knows what the dringly drangle is. Yes. Yeah, like once you have the recording down, it's like you start to see the logic and it's like it's hard to put it into words. But it's like, you know, if, if we can get to the point of like having at least a drum and guitar demo, it's like there is a pop song underneath there. I promise. It's just like it sounds really fucked up right now. But, you know, it's kind of like you chisel away at it. There was more time to chisel this time you know you had a little bit more space maybe and sometimes it can be a bit of a blessing to sort of have to rush because you, you know you have to be done it's just like yeah no we're just getting this out in like four or five days like, as you say kathy it's not the ideal recording process but it's like yeah we've just done it and now it's out and now people like it was it hard to know sort of when to when to stop working these songs when to stop pushing the complexity to stop saying hey maybe we could like slow the drums here and add a bridge here like how how did you know when something was finished 
Well, in terms of like the song structure, that did have kind of like a hard timeline because we were only in Jake's studio for probably five days. And that's where we did all the drums. So that wasn't changing unless you wanted to just take the drums out of a whole section, which I think did happen in Passing a Stranger. Oh, yeah. He put like a bridge or a break there. He took the drums out of that like verse that comes back or whatever. In your small hand, you have the figurine, felt the broken glass and counted every piece. You cried until your knees were weak. You would never tell and no one could ever see just how. Other than that, it wasn't kind of like these songs were like amorphous and they could be constantly changing. It was just kind of like within that limitation of like, these are the parts of the song. This is a song. It's like, what do we want to add or take away? I don't know. We probably spent a good few months trying different things, overdubbing guitar or replacing guitar. I had to redo my vocals on one song, I think. Or maybe he didn't even keep it. I don't remember. But <laughs> but then eventually we did have a deadline because it was like a mastering Thing. If we wanted the record to come out at a certain time, then we had to put the order in because the records are so backed up. So we ended up being like, okay, we got we to gotta wrap this up. <laughs> we sent Jake a lot of information, many, many overdubs. I gave him so many like keys and chords and pads and shit that I was like, oh, no, he'll know where to put these. So regardless of whether it made it on or not, he he really had his work cut out for him. You know, we were... <laughs> Send him a lot of info to mix in there. Yeah, I think we sent him like me and Garrett like doing this, doing like hand claps, but it was like on the offbeat to this, I think to Paradise. And then they weren't like lining up because it was really hard to like clap on the upbeat or something. And they were, and he were like, he'll move it around. He'll make it fit in. So we're just sending things, him things that just fully were not in time and didn't fit in the song and just being like, fuck it, you'll figure it out. Kind of a, su- <laughs> kind of a subtractive process on his end, I think, towards the end until the deadline came. So We'd get sent mixes and we'd be like, where are all these things that we sent you? And he'd be like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question that comes up a lot given what the world's been like the last couple of years, but you got moving on this album. You had voice notes from like two and a bit years ago. How does your relationship with the album change over two and a half, yeah. I mean, this, the the space between you, like singing the first voice note into your phone, and now, is longer than the period between probably your first ever band practice and your debut album. That's quite a long time in the, like the gestation period of this band, and you've just got this collection of songs to sit with in that time. It, how does your relationship change with with those songs, if it does at all? Yeah, it was like a very slow evolutionary process of the song. So I feel like I just appreciated them more and more on the way. Like, I don't know. I think like by the end, I was just like more in love with them than the beginning. Because it kind of reached this point where I was like able to, it had been so long since they had been written or like the lyrics had been written. I was able to look back and be like, understand the themes of the record before it came out, which I had never really been able to do before. And then I was like, I can actually articulately, a little bit more articulately speak about what going on here which was kind of useful because before it's kind of like i don't know it's happening <laughs> there was definitely a day where i was like i'm gonna read all the lyrics and like try to find the themes of, of my own lyrics or something but and that gave me a deeper appreciation for all the songs i think 
for me, it kind of bought me some time to learn how to play keyboard. Yeah, I, I know that I've been playing keyboard for like 10 years, but I didn't really know what anything was. So I did take some time to like figure uh, some like uh, harmony theory out to aid in the recording process, which did help a lot. Have you started writing things, you know, having finished the recording process a while back? Have you found yourself writing again for future stuff, even if it's not like set in stone? Me and Randall split a, what do you call it? A copy of Ableton? Yeah. <laughs> uh, license to oh, Ableton. Oh, yeah, yeah, split a license. We split a license. And so I feel like f since the summer, I hadn't really written anything I was really excited about until the summer. And I was like, then got this license of Ableton. And I was like, I need, I want to figure out how this works. And so I was like recording, trying just to produce myself, like some songs I had written. And that was like a really, I don't know, interesting process, a lot of suffering involved, but also like, you know, it would, it was like a lot of high highs and low lows of just like, like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I suck or like, whoa, this is awesome. And so... I have those songs, but now I'm kind of like back in the mode of like, I'm excited to write another empath record. And yesterday I came up with the something I'm excited to flesh out. And so I kind of just want to write a song like every couple days and then like hopefully in a couple months we'll have time to, to practice, you know, maybe once the tour is over. hard touring through covid it's really it's really weird uh <laughs> everything is so much different we used to like go around we would sleep on people's floors and shit no one wants the band to come over because you know you're got done with 10 super spreader events no i'm just kidding but uh they're just like no you can't stay here anymore so just like the cost of things has gone up so much um we bought a used van for the the last tour in october the used car market sucks you can't buy like vehicles right now especially anything that could be remotely used for a work vehicle it's just everyone wants to scam you everyone wants to scam you <laughs> yeah so it's the the whole i don't want you don't want to say like marketplace everything is just sort of changed it's been turned on its head it's become even harder for independent musicians to kind of do anything with their time remotely constructive i guess which i mean it's it's reasonable because it's it's a pandemic you know like you can't like we're we're we're, we're playing public events and everything so it's like that that's obvious that that's not going to change but it's, it's just getting harder for folks out there there were so many attempts some of which were like extremely lame and some of which i thought were more promising during the pandemic to do something like innovative with all of that to try and create some sort of outlet is the wrong word was there anything that came out of the pandemic you're like oh actually no this is something that we could keep doing even after we don't have to wear masks no <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe I'm, there's something i'm not thinking of the live streaming really not for me it's like all the bad parts of playing a show and none of the good. Yeah, the, not all music really translates well to just, you know, being streamed on the laptop, you know, like the couple that we did, we we were, you know, so pleased, pleased that it went well. But at the same time, we're like, you know, it doesn't translate the same on a screen as to being in the room with the kick drum and everything like that. 
Yeah, and it's just a pain in the ass to set up. Especially, it's like hard to capture our sound. So mm-hmm. it's like, how are we going to record this? And like, it's just a lot of technical shit. And then I'm just like, well, this is stupid. There's no one even here. We're in a room by ourselves. <laughs> I think a lot of the large scale productions really looked awesome. You know, uh, I know there was the one that, what is the, it's the game that everybody plays. You run around and I think you just run around and shoot everybody. But like Travis Scott's concert where he. Oh, Fortnite? Yeah, yeah. Travis Scott, he did like the Fortnite concert where he's like flying through the sky and shit. But it's just like, no, no one can afford to do that on on our level. You know, <laughs> like, I think that's really cool and interesting or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's not, not, a, not everybody can do that. So what now? It just it just sucks for a while. Like it sucks until it just gets a, a little bit better, but it ne- maybe never gets back to sucking as little as it did before. It sucked before too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was thinking. I I don't remember bands coming up and being like, "Yeah, man, we just spent fourteen weeks yeah. in a van and it fucking ruled." I loved it. It's hard to predict, you know. I I'm not generally optimistic person, so. I'm just like, yeah, we'll just wait and see. Things have been like pretty chill when the weather gets warmer and there's usually like a bad time when the weather is cold. And touring sucks when it's cold anyway. So I'm like, okay, we can't tour in January anymore. That's not the worst thing in the world. But yeah, hopefully uh, things will just slowly get better. But maybe things will always just be a little bit worse than they were before and you adapt to that. But that's just kind of how the world turns. But I don't know, I like recording music, so... We'll probably always do that regardless. Yeah, I guess it's just the since the shows are becoming fewer and more far between, each one is a bit more sweet. I remember last summer going to some outdoor raves and being like, wow, this is amazing. You know, just getting that total feeling of like when I first started watching live music again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, when you when you get a, a, a piece of it, it's like, wow, this is fully enlightening. So there's silver lining. I didn't want to make it all negative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have more appreciation. If there was one thing you could tell ev- everyone, I guess, whether that's like somebody who works for a magazine or just fans or people who see you on tour, like supporting another artist or anything, what that could like make life better for independent acts, what would you just ask people to do to make life easier? Buy merch. That's money right in, right in our pockets. That's pretty much like the best thing that you can do, I feel like. Support yeah, somebody <laughs> directly supporting buying merch and through, but through like the at the show stuff. specifically, yeah. if you have a show, or if not, then you know their web store. Mm-hmm. But like taking out the middle person, it's hard when it's like, well, we're not really at a level where we're like really making money off of tours, so it's it's not really a loss of money per se, but it's just like a loss of like connection to pe- to real people, and that's the biggest loss for me. I think it doesn't feel real unless you're like around other people and you feel like you're part of a greater community or something. When everything's online, it's like kind of feels like, what's the point? You know, I want to connect to real people in the real world. Do you still feel like you have that sense of community in in Philly or like around the band generally that there, there would always be that sense of community? I feel like for me, there's like this web of people that are like doing things that I find really interesting that I, and also like a lot of those people I call my friends. And so in that sense that, yeah, for sure. Like there's people I want to like, would love to like collaborate with or like just go see their show, you know, and that's, you know, that's what the definition of a community is, I guess. Like, yeah, there's people that I feel like I definitely feel like we're supported 
by our friends here. And so that's a good feeling. It's hard when it's the winter and everyone's inside and you're like, do I even have any friends? But <laughs> they're also just inside somewhere else. Yeah, they're inside somewhere else. <laughs> that is an uplifting place to end, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, comparatively, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. 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 We're all still out here. All that said, I have an amazing time playing the shows. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. And look, thanks again for, for making time to chat with us. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for yeah, having thank us. You. That was Empath Talking to the Fader. Their new album, Visitor, is out now by Fat Possum. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a rating and a review. And don't forget to keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.